as long as you develop those good foundational leadership and management qualities when you're in the DM. The DM role is the time to, you know, just as an SDR would do when they start off, like a DM role, like if you want to get into sales leadership, like that is the perfect time to own your craft. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Wow. All right. We're actually here, Chris, at Jace Edwards, Memory Blue Austin. Podcasting in Austin, giving Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss a run for their money. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right, Jason. After this, you can only hope. Yeah, this is yeah. this is the third most listened to podcast headquarters that's recorded in Austin. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> How's it going, Jace? It's going good. No complaints. Living the dream. Office having a good day today. We are having a good day. Tell yeah. us what tell us about that. Let's start off with that, and then we'll go back and get into your background. Yeah, I mean the the vibes are right today. The team's getting after it. I think we have like 40 books on the day, which is a really good day for us. A lot of some of our newer SDRs are getting some multiple book days. So yeah, things are things are going well right now. Wow. And you have 55 SDRs in this office, 75 blue personnel. That is correct. And you put up 40 book meetings. Yeah. That's that's a great day. Oh yeah. Just gotta figure out a way to do that every day and we'll be in good shape. That's right. <laughs> All right, we'll come back to that part. Just do it tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> day by day. There you go, brick by brick. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. So let, but let's get into you. So we've got, you know, people who are thinking about coming to work here. We got SDRs that might want to be delivery managers. Delivery managers that might want to open up their own office or be a, another MD in an existing office or take over an office. They're going to want to. They want to talk or hear about stories like yours. Yeah. So that's certainly. What, that, that's what we're going to get into. Okay. So in, in, in terms of doing that, I, I gotta say it like you're an Austin unicorn. That's right, one of the few. Right. The, we'll t- tell us what that means and let's kind of talk about growing up. Yeah. So born and raised here in Austin. Haven't found a reason to leave just yet. Pretty pretty cool city. But yeah, born 1992. Just turned 30 years old. Growing up, very much a middle class neighborhood. A lot of kids my age that I used to run around with, get in trouble. What, what part of Austin? Where, where, where the surrounding area? Austin, uh, South right? Austin. South Austin. Yeah. Okay, got it. All yeah. right. So in the heart of South Austin, which in comparison to some of the other places like Round Rock, Georgetown, North Austin, mm-hmm. certainly had more of that like keep Austin weird vibe, mm-hmm. right? You get kind of the old hippies and the you know all natural organic stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. grew up and spent my entire childhood in, in South Austin. What's it been like with the change? It's with the growth. It's crazy. I mean, first and foremost, the road that I live on or that I used to live on growing up used to be just a dirt road one way. Really? Or now it's, you know, four lanes, both sides. But yeah, I mean, the, the growth of Austin has been incredible to see over the past, you know, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Like I remember growing up, going to Zilker Park, looking at the downtown skyline. There may have been three sizable buildings to where now it seems like there's a new skyscraper or Facebook is building a new office or or Google's coming with their new headquarters here. So yeah, now nowadays every time I, I drive through downtown, there's some new tech company that's blowing up their headquarters right now. So it's changed a lot. And you know, I will say with all the 
you know, recent. And I mean, I guess it's been happening for 30 years. I mean, there's yeah. always been a tech presence here, but yeah, it was really ramped up over the past 10 years. And you can certainly, you know, see an effect on the on the local economy. You know, it's created a lot of jobs. You know, there's some cons to it. I mean, rent's gone up quite a bit, yeah. but hey, you know, that's what comes with it. Yep. Yep. And what and what compelled you to stay? But just because of all those things, I mean, everybody's moving here. I mean, how many people from this office are from Austin, you said, of the 75 people? I would say five. Five So people. I can count on one hand. Yeah. So everybody's moving here. Yeah. So was it always like, I'm just, I'm just not going to leave? I mean, why would I leave? Everybody's moving here. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly factored into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really just do have a love for the city. Like, growing up, I didn't really... I feel like I kind of took it for granted how great of a city it was to live in. I mean, we have a great live music scene. There's so much outdoor activity to do around here. Like We have the Highland Lakes. So, I mean, there's just a lot to do in the city. So, I mean, I kind of took that for granted growing up, and it wasn't until I got a little bit older and, you know, I recognized that there's a lot of opportunity to really, like, you know, around least for me, continue setting my roots here. So that was that was part of it, just kind of realizing, like, how great of a place it was to live. You know, there was a period there, especially whenever I was going through college, I was like, hey, maybe it is time to branch out, go to another city. So naturally, the other two options for me being a Texas boy was Eastern or Dallas. Yeah. Spend a little bit of time in those two cities and you really realize how much better Austin is. Everybody because... from Austin always <laughs> crushes Dallas. Yeah. No, thanks. So, well, hey, so what's funny is I, I do a lot of on-campus recruiting and I love yeah. when I go to on-campus recruiting at, at a college in Texas. Yeah. First thing, and then I'll ask this college student is, where do you want to live? And almost, I almost always hear the same answer. I'm open to live anywhere in the state of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like, uh, this is the most open-minded person I've ever heard of. Yeah. Within, <laughs> the, within the state of Texas. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So, all right. So what were you like as a kid? Growing up, I mean, I was... I will say that I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie as a kid. Really? Yeah, I was very much into extreme sports. Like, I did the skateboarding thing for five or six years. Parkour? Didn't do parkour. No, never got into that. I thought those kids were kind of weird. But um, <laughs> anyway, so like skateboarding, BMX biking. I got into dirt bikes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like Jace, you got cool shit. Yeah. yeah, like me and my buddies, like I said, there was a, a number of us that were around my age growing up, so... You know, we would go to the back of the neighborhood and dig up a dirt ramp and see how high we can get on our bikes, yep. you know, get bruised up, scraped up and all that stuff. And I think you know, I really just liked kind of the thrill that you I would get from doing some something dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a lot of that growing up. So like watching himself up. You know, yeah. these guys kind of one up each other. Yeah. These dirt bikes. Oh, yeah. People got seriously oh, hurt. Sure they did. <laughs> so like looking back on it, we were kind of dumb. But yeah, yeah made some made some great friendships growing up. And on top of all that, I was I was really interested in music as well. Like a lot of people don't know this, but I was I was a part of a band in middle school, like a hardcore rock band, yeah. like straight up playing metal music. Lasted for like two years, but I was really into guitar and, and playing the drums. I'm in this band. I played bass guitar, and then that kind of spiraled into kind of a lifelong love for music. Like I still play music to this day. My girlfriend hates it, but the office in my home is kind of half of a music studio too. Oh, so wow, okay. I kind of did that conversion on my own, but she wasn't too big of a fan. Without permission. That's right. Just went ahead and did it. Took initiative. But yeah, it was a, you know, pretty average upbringing. Like I said, middle-class neighborhood. I certainly prioritized having fun with the friends over schoolwork. Like I was never the kid that would spend a ton of hours studying for a test. 
I knew I was smart and that I could do it, but I just didn't necessarily apply myself as much as others did with, you know, studying for, uh -huh. for tests and all that. Very much B students, you know, some A's sprinkled in there, certainly some C's. So yeah, certainly prioritized, you know, building relationships and, you know, having fun. And like I said, seeking those thrills out, like that was, you know, the, the bulk of my childhood. What'd you think you wanted to do when you were in high school? I honestly had no idea. I bounced around a little bit. You know, at one point I thought I wanted to be EMS, no, right? Okay. That that would be, man, what is the actual emergency, emergency medical service? Yeah. So the people that ride around in ambulances. Yeah. Uh -huh. they, they goes and take care of the kids on the dirt bikes that, you know. That's right. Get, get there's, a, there's a drone rush. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Race and help somebody. Yeah. Know what the hell. That could have been why. To an encounter. And right. Definitely why. Yeah. Two things, though. One, I actually saw some pictures of what they deal with, and I was like, nope, yeah. screw that. Two, I found out how much they were making. So I was like, yeah, screw that, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but... Also, growing up, I found out very quickly that, I mean, I was a, I was a hustler as a kid. Like, I was always looking for creative ways to make some money. I was very money motivated as a kid. And I think it all kind of started with, I was probably nine years old, and my dad made me a proposition. We had a family dog, and he was like, hey, if you go clean up the backyard once a week, I'll toss you five bucks. And I was like, all right, cool. So I, I did that gig for a little bit, you know, put the Lincolns in my piggy bank. When I came to this point to where I was like, oh crap, like I've, I've got 45 bucks here. Right, that's a lot of money. I've made it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So when I, th I think, I forgot what I did with it, but I think I got on my bike and rode down to the subway and got a foot long sandwich yeah. and, a, and a game from GameStop. And that was it. And I was like, oh crap, like I need to make some more money. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of developed into, you know, trying to do some other things here and there. A lot of my family lives here in Austin. So we would have get togethers. So, you know, I would do, you know, random things around their house to, to help out, to make some extra money. So yeah, I mean, I was, you know, ready to get after it. And at that time, like I knew that, and this was instilled in me at a very early age, but anything worthwhile in this world, that's going to make you a lot of money is going to be hard. So <laughs> like, if there's one thing you can control, you can control how hard you work at something. Can, can you repeat that for the people in the back? <laughs> yes. Anything that is worthwhile in this world that is going to make you a good amount of money is going to be extremely hard. So buckle up. <laughs> so yeah, I always had that value instilled in me at an early age. How was that instilled in you? I mean, just, you know, seeing my parents work. My dad was in sales. He was, he worked for Canon for a number of years, selling wide format copiers. So a big copy of machines, business to business. So yeah, you know, I think, you know, a lot of just kind of seeing what my family did. I had a couple of other family members that were in sales and, you know, just kind of seeing how they ran their day to day. So yeah, a, a lot of that just continuously is kind of what instilled that. And I think on top of that, you know, being able to do some of those things at an early age, um, you know, go out, and do a variety of things and see the fruits of your labor pay off and, and turn into income. I think like, that and myself kind of like started turning some wheels. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> I got to be getting after it to, you know, make, make something of myself. All right. So you're coming out of high school. What would you do? Coming out of high school, I, my first two years of college, I was at ACC. So Austin Community College. Mm -hmm. I was working full time right out, right out of high school. What were you doing? Uh, so out of high school, I worked at a local pizza joint. Did you work in high school too? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. How, how, how many years in high school before you had a license, when you had a license? Um, my very first job was before I got a license. I worked at Panera Bread okay. as a dishwasher. All and right. I found out very quickly that was not the route that I wanted to take. Mm 
-hmm. I think that was probably some of the best motivation in the world because some of the people I worked with were, you know, 30, 40 years old, lifers working as a dishwasher. And I was like, I don't care what I do, but I know for a fact I'm not doing that. So that, that gig lasted about a month past that really my first you know, actual sales job. One of my buddies, and this was, I had turned 16 at the time. So I just started driving one of my buddies growing up, his dad's a general contractor. So, you know, over the summer, we were looking for some creative ways to, to make some extra money. And he was like, Hey, I've got a proposition for you and your buddies. Like, why don't you come down to my office this Saturday and I'll, I'll give you guys the spiel. So we're like, all right, cool. So I went down to their office, which was literally a mobile home on a job site, circled around a conference table. And he was like, Hey, look, like, you know, if you guys want to test your luck at the world of sales, like, here's what I'm trying to do here. Like we do a lot of different things for, you know, not just residential customers, but for commercial as well. An area of our business that's struggling right now that we can use some help in is our residential roofing. So like, here's the deal. Like you guys are gonna, we're gonna give you guys your zip codes. You're gonna go around door knock. Have a briefcase with all your information. Here's your pitch. You're 16? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like literally right when, right when I started driving, like, and I was fired up after that meeting. Like, <laughs> and like looking back on it, I was like, man, that was dumb. But yeah, there was some slick guy that came in, one of his like top sales reps. He had this nice suit, like, you know, slick haircut. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, like Marks. Yeah. Like Marks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And he was telling us like, hey, this is how I got my start. Like when I was 16 years old, I made 90K in a summer. And dude, my eyes were just like blown up. I was like, that's what I want to do. So yeah, we literally like, they gave us our briefcases, gave us a labeled polo with their with their logo uh-huh, on it. Uh-huh. We had our zip codes. Like, All right, here's the, the tricks of the trade. Like you want to go to a nice neighborhood, but not too nice of a neighborhood because they probably already have somebody mm-hmm. like shoot for the upper middle class neighborhoods. Like, Here's some things that you can look for on the roof. Target those. And they were giving us prospecting tips. Yeah. So yeah, spent the summer literally going around houses and, you know, 110 degree Texas weather, trying to drum up some business. What'd you learn? Man, sales is hard. There's a lot of rejection. (laughs) Yeah. Which looking back on it, you know, having that experience, not that the SCR rule is easy in any means, but rejection in person when you're at somebody's house and they slam the door in your face are... God forbid they have a gun on them. I mean, this yeah. is Texas. Yeah. Like that's a totally different type of rejection than somebody, yeah. <laughs> a prospect telling you to F off over the phone. So it definitely did prepare me in that sense. But yeah, I mean, like it was a lot harder than I thought. Like I thought, you know, I would, you know, at least you know, once a day, get somebody that's interested in yeah. learning a little bit more and getting an estimate. But I would get maybe like one a week. And over the course of the summer, I think maybe one of those people like actually turned into business. Yeah. And I made like, I, f- I forgot off that deal, like maybe 500 bucks. Yeah. yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not a worthwhile endeavor, but yeah. a lot of inv- invaluable lessons that I learned. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're coming out of high school, you were with the ACC and yep. you were working full time. Working full time. about that? Yeah. Pizza place. Pizza place. What were you doing? Yeah, glamorous. No. So a lo- local pizza joint called Crago's. I started off as a delivery driver there, you know, ultimately learning the roads, learning the business a little bit. And was promoted to a team lead. So that was kind of my first experience you know, being responsible for people. So I did that for wow, like, a, like a year or two. Uh-huh. It, was wow. a, it was a long time. Yeah, that's a learn. That's yeah. A, learn a lot of lessons in those books. Yeah, I got some good like practical business experience. Like I was in charge of, you know, keeping tally of the da- daily numbers, right? What are our expenses? Had to keep a close eye on, on the employees. Sounds ridiculous, but grabbing too much Parmesan cheese, like, 
that's a cost for them, right? And somebody's, you know, stashing 20 a box, like business lose money. Yeah. And so I learned a lot of really good, solid, practical business skills, you know, how to interact with your direct reports, right? Like, you know, having those tougher conversations early, if somebody's not pulling their weight, like how to address that, how to report up to upper management, you know, if something's going wrong, like, what are some things that you can do to fix it? So yeah, look, it was a fantastic. Experience. You learned all that right out of high school. Right out of high school. Yep, going to school full time. Nice man. Yeah, that's that's probably more valuable than whatever I was learning at in the Bragg 100, my freshman year of Virginia Tech. <laughs> what happened next? Um, so after ACC, um, I was just getting my basics out of the way. Went on to transfer to Texas State in San Marcos. Wonderful place. If you haven't been to San Marcos before, like. Highly suggested. If you like Rivers, they got a good one. Those are the Bobcats. Yeah. Those are the Bobcats. Bobcats. dying to go there. Really? Yeah. yeah. Really good sales I heard, program. I heard the river and like the tubes down there. It's amazing. It is. Man, I'm surprised you haven't been there yet. Someday. 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 Yeah. They got well, a good sales program. They have a great sales program. And that's my number one. I want that to be our number one school. It's not that far from here. It's like 30 minutes. Yeah. Really? Right down the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So whenever I was at Texas State. Well, you got you. You went to school there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was living in Austin on a commute to San Marcos, yeah. so it's right. it's that close. But yeah, anyways, I transferred to Texas State. Ultimately, wanted to be a finance major. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly why I wanted to do that. I, I kind of thought the concept of, you know, having turning money into more money was interesting. It's like, hey, why not do that for a living? It seems like they do pretty well for themselves. So I didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do. All I knew is that I wanted to make a lot of money. But do something that I enjoy. So very quickly found out that majoring in finance is not, or at least for me, was not the most interesting thing in the world. Like it's a lot of analyzing numbers and, you know, some, a bunch of, you know, random terms. But and you're like, like the know the numbers guys too. They told us that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, but like whenever I was majoring, you know, going down that route, yeah. it just like didn't appeal to me at yeah, the time. Okay. Okay. I, I think now that, you know, I kind of know the the meaning behind the numbers that you know, I'm responsible for. And like, you can kind of use those numbers to inform decisions. It's you know starting to become a little more like, it's it's more my speed now because I know what to do with the numbers versus back then. It's like, how am I going to apply this to a job? So anyways, I majored in finance yep. very quickly. I was like, hey, like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I transferred to applied sociology which if you're familiar with sociology, it's basically the study of groups of people, behaviors, and how they interact with each other. Except applied, and the applied part is applying it to the world of business. So interesting. It was actually very practical. Like I learned a lot of really good things from, from that major. So what did you think you were going to do when you were when you're coming up on getting out? Still no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I just knew that. Um, before the sales program. Yeah. I think it was just starting. Okay, all right. But yeah, I, I still didn't know necessarily what I wanted I'm to do. Sure want to go into sales. Yeah, actually, sales wasn't even on the radar. So it sounds like wasn't wasn't quite on the radar. Yeah, you know, kind of when that started to get on the radar, and I'll come back to that in a second. But yeah, moving to applied sociology, I, just, I knew that like, hey, I'm going to open up a lot of doors for myself if I get a four year degree. So I'm going to go through, get my four year degree, and at that point, you know, I'll figure out what what's next. Well, so when I started at Texas State. Made a made a job shift. I was still working full time, commuting to school. My uncle, who moved down here to Austin from East Texas, he bought a furniture store here. So mm. he was like, "Hey, like I've got an offer for you. If you want to be my right hand man and 
you know, helped me kind of, and it, it was a, a furniture store that had been in business for 25 years. So they had a good name, but you know, the, the current regime before my uncle, uncle bought it, like just wasn't getting the job done. So it was kind of a rebuild process. So he was like, Hey, look, like I'll make you a job offer. If you want to come be my right hand man, I'd love to have you come, come work at the furniture store. So did that. And that was really my first, you know, I would say, you know, experience with, you know, a legitimate, like high volume of sales. Yeah. I'm going to say one thing, he, at such an early age, Jason has a lot more experience than most people that we know mm-hmm. at an early age, right? With like the different jobs. Knocking, knocking on doors. Knocking on doors. Knocking on doors. Joint. Chris and I are fans of community colleges. Like yeah. knocking out the basics at community college while you're working full time, you're learning a shit ton. And it saves you so much money too to right. go to community college. Like I get the you know four year college experience and freshman dorms and, and all that, mm-hmm. but yeah, you save a lot of money by going to community college. Just new kid amount. Yeah. So so sorry. So you're out. Your uncle's pitched yeah. pitched you. Yeah. So started there. And then um, what was that like though? Was it like okay, I'm gonna do this, this kind of business, but it's kind of sales. So then I have my finance degree. But how did you view it? Did you view it as you were getting in the sales? Or did you view it as I'm getting the business? At some point, I did start realizing that like, hey, sales is for me. Like starting off, it was a lot of inventory management and like tracking what's coming in, pricing it. I did a lot of valuating for it. It was a consignment store. So, you know, people would bring us their stuff. We would sell it for them and then we would give them a cut. Yeah. So a lot of like, you know, learning how to, you know, properly valuate furniture, like what to look for. You know, negotiating with customers because let me tell you, everybody wants more than what it's worth. So, you know, that and as I got more into it and certainly started, you know, working more with customers, like, you know, once I got that down, my uncle's like, Hey, I'm gonna turn you loose on the floor. Like, here's our mark that we need to hit each month, and I'll pay you a bonus for, you know, how much you can, you know, sell. So I was like, All right, cool, let's do it. And I mean, B2C is very different than B2B. I found that out when I got here, but I mean, that was kind of at that point. You know, I found that adrenaline rush that, you know, I enjoyed so much as a kid, whenever I would close a big deal, right? If I sold $10,000 worth of furniture, I was like, yeah, let's go. I got that thrill. Yeah. I was like, let's do it. We're making some money. So I think that's kind of when the, you know, when that gear shifted in my head where I was like, sales is a viable option for, for a career path. Like, I know I can, you know, outwork most people. I can talk to people. So like to go hand in hand with sales, like mm-hmm. let's start looking into that a little bit more. So anyways, fast forward a couple of years and I continued to work at the furniture store once I graduated from college. I graduated from Texas State in 2016 and I continued working at the furniture store. We also started, you know, doing a, running a little side business where essentially we were a, a business brokerage. So that was my first, you know, real experience into actual prospecting and inside sales. So my uncle, he was a registered broker and my job was to go out and try to, you know, get in contact with these local businesses, you know, catch their pulse on, Hey, are you trying to sell your business for whatever reason? Are you trying to retire? Are you just looking for, for something new? We would, you know, evaluate their business. We'd look at all their books. We would market it. We would find a qualified buyer and essentially broker the transaction. And I got to be a part of that, which was really cool. And that was my first like B2B experience. So I was doing the furniture thing. I was doing the business brokerage thing for a little while. So like at, at that point, that's when it really started becoming apparent, like sales is the option. For me. Like that's, that's where I got to go. So that business broker piece, were you just 
doing the prospecting or were you whipping out finance skills to do the uh, financial analysis? Didn't whip out any of the finance skills. I was strictly prospecting. I was, okay. yeah, I was, you know, trying to garnish some interest, get a pulse on, you know, how somebody would feel about, you know, potentially wanting to know. And we'd start like, hey, you, if you're thinking about selling, we can give you a free valuation. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how you, you hook them in a little bit. What kind of businesses? Yeah, I mean, we, we specialize with anything. I mean, mostly like, you know, little mom and pop shops, sole proprietorships. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the sweet spot for us was $500,000 in annual revenue up to 10 million. Once you get past 10 million, you know, that's when it becomes a little more like, you know, doing it as a small, small shop with two people becomes a little, you know, muddled at that point. I see. So, okay. Yeah. Were they just Austin-based businesses? Austin-based. Okay. Yeah, and Austin area-based. How long did you do that? I was doing that for probably a year and a half. Hard. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, my specialty was handwritten letters. So I would literally like get a list of businesses, find their address, sit there and write out a hundred letters a day. So yeah, that was something. What was your hit rate? Oh man. I want to say like maybe letters, hundred letters go out. How many? How we many? would get maybe, I would say out of 200 letters we would send out, we would get one response. Okay. That response was usually like, Hey, not interested, but try me in six years. So hit rate was low. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It was something. I, I learned a lot about the uh, the hardships of prospecting and, and sales here in that kid. So then you decided to do something else. Yes. So well, what what inspired that change? Yeah. So I kind of got to the point I was I was done with college. You know, I kind of reached my potential at the furniture store. I was like, you know, I'm, what else am I going to do here, right? I'm not going to buy out my uncle. Like, that's his business. You know, the business brokeraging thing. Like, you know, I made a couple good bonus checks. But ultimately, I was ready for the next challenge. I was like, where the hell did I go to college if, like, I'm not going to put that to use? So I knew I wanted to get into sales. I had a fascination with tech, especially growing up in Austin. Sure. Um, you know, obviously, like the big names here, like Dell's headquartered right down the street, Intel. Oracle had a really big presence before they just straight up moved their headquarters here. So yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of tech companies. And I always thought it was you know, fascinating, like how literally the future of our world is shaped by these companies. Now, what really solidified my interest in wanting to just hardcore go after a job at tech sales, one of my buddies from college... Once he graduated, he started at Indeed, and he started off as an ISR, moved to a senior ISR, moved to an account executive, and ultimately got promoted to one of their directors of sales in the period of like two years. So wow. I had a conversation with him. I was like, hey, man, like, how you been? Seems like things are going really well for you. You know, we got to talking about the tech industry, and he was going on about like, hey, there's a lot of area of opportunity here. Like, I, you're probably one that was trying to make up for lost time because I was 27 whenever I graduated college. So I was, I was, you know, people younger than me were mm -hmm. starting their careers and I was certainly trying to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey man, like you can certainly do that in the world of tech. Like, I think that you would be, you'd be really good and in a sales role in this industry. And then he told me how much money he was making. And like, th at that point I was like, all right, like, <laughs> This is it. Like this, this is what I'm doing. This was like that ninety thousand dollars indoors. Exactly, hundred percent. Right. Same yep. thing. Stars in your eyes. Stars in the eyes. That's <laughs> right. So, anyways, I knew hardcore. Like, all right, tech sales is what it's going to be. So, I, you know, every night I would go home. I'd research companies. This was, and when I made that decision was in February of 2019. 
Okay. Okay. I started here at Emory Blue in June of 2019. Yep. Okay. In February, I didn't know what an SDR was. I knew I had sales experience and, you know, closing some, you know, mostly B2C type deals. So the job that I kept seeing pop up on, on these, on Indeed and LinkedIn or whatever was account executive roles. So being naive, I was just gunning for those right off the bat. It only took three applications that I submitted to where the recruiter was nice enough to let me know, like, Hey, let me give you a a hint here. Like you're not going to get one of these jobs. Like you got to start off as an SDR. And I was like, well, what's, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) And she broke it down for me. It was like, yeah, it's a sales development representative, you know, essentially think of it as like a stepping stone to get to that next level of, you know, you can get into a closing role or a managerial role. You know, it's a lot of cold calling and emailing, prospecting, you know, your job is essentially going to be to set up meetings for, you know, the closer to go in and, you know, hopefully turn that into a closing. All right. Well, I appreciate that knowledge. So back to the drawing board. Started looking at SDR jobs, and man, I I applied so many places. It was, it was companies. What's wrong with these companies? <laughs> yeah, I got shut down a lot. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so you got shut down, but then you you remember how you found us or how we found you? Or yeah, I do. So recruiter reached out on LinkedIn. I at that time when I realized I wanted to get into tech sales, like. Started beefing up my LinkedIn profile, yep. putting all my experience on there. But I think what it was, Abby Bullwinder. Abby W. Yeah, was my wow. recruiter. Um, She's an awesome resident. Now. Yeah, yeah. She uh, and Matt Glover. She'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, Mr. Glover. Yeah, can I hear that bell ring? <laughs> yeah. So reached out over LinkedIn. I'd never heard of Memory Blue before, but kind of gave me the spiel of of the business. I thought like right off the bat, I was like, this is a really unique business model. Like, so you guys aren't a tech company that has your own product that you're selling, but you're helping other tech companies sell their product. She's like, yeah, in a nutshell, exactly what we do. I was like, okay, cool. Well, like, you know, talk to me, like what's the the pay range? Kind of tell me a little bit about the culture. And I was intrigued. I mean, the more I, you know, did research prior to my interview, like I was like, this is great. The one thing that really stuck out to me the most was the, the alumni survey. So all the people that have gone through the program, got to see in, you know, what they've done life after memory blue, mm-hmm. it seems just in looking at different reviews on, on Glassdoor, it seemed like a place to where I could do exactly what I wanted. And that was make up for lost grounds. Mm-hmm. Like I could get not just skills for selling a specific product, but I could build like really good foundational sales skills that are going to serve me long-term in my career. I was like, Hey, these guys, if they're experts in something, it's developing sales professionals. So. Yeah, at that point, I was I was super intrigued. You had your interview with Nimit. Yeah, initially I did I did interview one with Nimit, and then I did the second and third interview with with Christina Irulo. Dude, yeah, I mean that wasn't that long ago. It's crazy. That was I mean June of 2019. Sometimes it feels like ten years, but I mean <laughs> <laughs> three three years. Yeah, it's wild, Which, right? Man, if you would have if somebody would have told me. Whenever I started off as an SDR here, like three years, you're going to be, you know, running the Austin office. You're crazy. <laughs> like what? Presiding over 75 people. Yeah. It's nuts. It still blows nuts. my mind sometimes. <laughs> like, I mean, I've been doing this for four or five months now and I'm still like, wow. <laughs> it's great. Well, yeah, it's funny how it worked out. We're going to get into the SDR role. Yeah. All those things that you did before were all preparing you for what you're doing now. Pretty much, man. Yeah. No one else 
who was an SCR. And if you look at when you stopped being an SCR, that was within three years, right? I don't know. So you started, I mean, no one else who could come into the role, let's say some out of school and they did this, they're not going to be running to run the office. Yeah. But everything you were doing, business brokerage, the furniture, and even things before that, that's all prepared you for what you're doing now. Yeah. Looking back on it, it sure did. And yeah. I am glad that my parents laid the law down. I was like, hey, if you want some extra money, you got to go out and work for it. No, no handouts. And that's initially like what really got me, you know, wanting to work at an early age. <laughs> They've done a great job. Jace, I, I can replicate that as well. All right. <laughs> no, there you go. You want to do that. All right. So, 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 all right. But let's go back to it for those listening for our own memories, our own giggles. Take us back to like doing the SCR job here. Yeah. First day. Did you know what you were doing? Not really. Not really. I mean, right? I had an idea. What you were getting like, yourself into? Memory Blue alumni, are you looking for your next top performing SDR with the competitive drive, hustle mentality, and passion for sales that you can bank on? The Rising Stars program connects accomplished Memory Blue SDRs with alumni looking to expand their teams. Rising Stars have completed their SDR journey with us and are chomping at the bit to land a new and exciting high-tech sales opportunity. They've been professionally trained, coached, and mentored, thriving in the very environment where you launched your career. Alumni like you hire Memory Blue Rising Stars because they can rest easy knowing they're hiring the best in the business. Learn how you can access this unique pool of sales talent by heading to memoryblue.com slash alumni. Yeah, I knew that I was going to be, you know, working for a client. Yeah. Be, you know, cold calling, emailing. Essentially, you know, my role was to schedule meetings. Man, that, that first day, like, I remember the night before, like, I think I slept like maybe one hour because really? like, <laughs> there was just so much unknown. Like, you know, I didn't know, like, am I going to be good at this? Like, you know, who's my client going to be? What is my manager going to be like? Yeah, we need more people like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was like, you know, I didn't sleep at all that night before. Um, so, anyways, I came into the office that day. It was middle of blitz, so it was quiet or relatively quiet. You know, people were focused doing their yeah, job. Yeah, at their desk. Yeah. So, Christina greeted me and was like, yeah, Tina. She showed me to my desk and was like, all right, here's your battle station. Here's your, your login information. Get set up and we'll get you going on your client. I was on the Booz Allen Hamilton campaign. I would say seven or eight months. Friend of memory blue, I didn't even know what that company was. Yeah. <laughs> Come to find out, very large consulting firm, Fortune 500. It was all the cybersecurity for three-letter government agencies. Yeah. So literally before coming here, I'd never heard of it. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a cool campaign. I mean, I enjoyed the world of cybersecurity. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, I was ready to dive in head first, like, I need to be successful in this. I need to be a student of the game and, you know, figure out what is my craft and, you know, what am I not so good at? What do I need to focus on? So, yeah, I was, I was ready to dive in head first. Who, who else was, who were you rolling with? Like what other SDRs were there? You know? Yeah. So some of the SDRs, like specifically on that campaign. Sure, in the office. In the office. Just the memories. Like, you know, you're yeah. a new person. You come in a little nervous. You also got more life experience than that. Yeah. But who do you remember? I would say Sam Burkhalter. Okay. Berkey. Sam. He was he was one. 
Man, so many, so many good people that I met. Tyler Cassett. Okay. Yeah. Psycho T. Psycho T. <laughs> That's right. I think he's going to be in attendance tomorrow. Oh, so. I hope he is. Yeah, there was, let's see, who else was kind of my my crew? Anik Bukai. Okay. Yep. Sierra. Oh. Katie DeGolia. Yeah. Alex Tran. Okay. Walter Seaman. Man, yeah. the list, list goes on yeah, and on. Yeah, a ton, so. of, ton of, those are all strong people. Yeah. And you were, when you were on... You know, becoming a student of the game, what yeah. did you become a student of? Like, what were you good at? Man, <laughs> quite honestly, just like figuring out what works and working hard into the person who left and read it. Yeah. Like, I found out very quickly that success as an SDR comes like pipelines your lifeline, right? Like, pipeline is your life. If you are not going to put any extra work to not just let's build the right way, because there's very much a wrong way to do it. Like, Zoom Info exporting is not going to get the job done. Gonna disqualify. Yeah, you're a master at this. Yes. So I got coming out of business. Like, what's going on with booze? Yeah. It's going up such a high profile campaign. And they're like, Jason's got like this rifle shot program, targets the right people. Very good. Like the big, work that big level, high, high value meetings. Yep. Personalization. But yeah, very early on, I found out like cold, like you got to target the right people and put in that upfront work before you even start calling them, before you even start emailing them. Because you know, come to find out if that person's a janitor at the company that you're talking to. Well, guess what? You just wasted 30 seconds of your time building out that day. So it was very much about, you know, trying to identify areas of opportunity to be as efficient as possible. And once I had that process down, I was like, all right, here's who my target audience is. Here's what I need to scan for to make sure that they're the right person. Here's the type of company that's the sweet spot. Like, let's get their mobile number. Let's verify that their information is correct. You know, use LinkedIn, zoom in for the tools you're available to kind of cross-reference that information. Putting in that upfront work and just doing more of that work is literally the only thing special about me as an SDR. Like, I made that a priority. I was like, hey, maybe I'm not the best over the phone yet, or like, you know, maybe not the best at, you know, closing a meeting, but like, what I am good at is focusing on the controllables. And I'm going to do more of that than anybody around. And it worked. It did work. Yeah. What, knowing what you knew, you know, after being in the SR for a while, what would you have told yourself that night before when you couldn't sleep? Mm. That's a good one. Probably buckle up. <laughs> you, you thought you got told no a lot and, you know, knocking on doors, like, you know, wait till you step into the world of B2B tech sales where the people that you're targeting got 10 other phone calls that day. You probably get, now that I'm in the, the managing director role, like I'm starting to get those emails from vendors and like, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so like the people that you're trying to book a meeting with, like those people are already heavily, heavily prospected. So you got to find a way to like, you know, make yourself stick out from the crowd. Mm -hmm. Who else was good at their role when you were doing this? Um, yeah, I mean, Alex Tran was, yeah. was really good. He was just a natural, like, I think to qualify for tops, he needed like 19 occurs in the month, like before the qualification oh, ends. I remember this. And he got like 20, like I on the last this. day of qualification. I remember I came down and we were like, do you guys know how many you need? Yeah. And he's like, I'm never, I, well, I think I said, he took it personal. Yeah, he did. He's like, I'm going to go. Yeah. And he got, he crushed it. He was a gunslinger, man. Let's see, who, who else? Berkey was a really good SDR. Yeah, Sam, Sam, Sam Burkhalter. Um, like I mentioned, I'm not, I feel like I mentioned some of the same people, but Walt was really good. Yeah, yeah. John Lawfer, he was a fellow DM of mine for yep. for a while. He was, he was really good. You know, yeah, I mean, Jackson, he had just stepped into the DM role, but like, and listening to his calls, I was like, this guy's got it going on. He's mm -hmm. he's figured it out. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, those are the big names that, that come to mind. So when you I think learn from the community. Yeah, right. exactly. You learn from the folks who are not necessarily putting on your campaign. Yeah, right. 100%. You learn, from, and that's what you're trying to do here. Yep. It looks like. Yeah, right. there's, there's something to learn from every single person, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you can, you know, unlock what that is with, with each person, like that's just spreading knowledge around. That's going to mm-hmm. make the entire unit, you know, one one step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why working in the office is yes. it's, a, it's a blessing. People yeah. may not look at it that way, right? But I was in the Boston office last week and a lot of everyone in the SCR game knows someone who works at a company where they're working from their house. Yep. For, if not for full time, a lot of time. Yeah. But you're going to miss out on learning from Alex and Walter and Sam and Jackson because like, you're not sitting next to those folks. You're not hearing them. Yeah. I mean, you can do some of that stuff virtual, but not anywhere near the same as getting your teeth kicked in while somebody's sitting next to you. Right. That's right. Yeah. There's there's nothing like it. One to get you know immediate advice from from your your partner in crime, but you know two. I mean, the SDR role is. I see it as one of the toughest jobs in sales. Like it's a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's tough. And if you can, you know, kind of go through some of those growing pains and you know, experience failure, but you have your you know teammate beside you to go through it. I mean, it's it just makes it that much easier, right? I mean, I was still in the SDR role for the first you know three months of the pandemic when we were all working from home. Uh, yeah, and I hated it because like I didn't have that you know. I didn't have my team around me to kind of you know, lean on whenever you know, things weren't going so good. It's not a lot of fun to cold call from your your kitchen table and just you know suffer and suffer in silence. No, not at all. What? So you're in the saddle. You're doing it. Mm-hmm. Did you have any mentees? Did you like how how did you how were you kind of like figuring out what you wanted to do next? Because typically we give you know mentees to folks who maybe want to in, impact the office more. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I had a I had a couple of mentees, but it happened a lot sooner than I thought too. Like, <laughs> it's because you've got all that great experience. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, when I came here, like, I thought that I wanted to like come in, you know, get hired up by my client, become an account executive. Like, I wanted to be the one closing deals, making a lot of money. Like, that's the path that I came in here thinking I was going to go down. It started kind of changing when I did start mentoring people. I remember, and this was like, granted, I was in my like fifth week on the job. And Jackson like calls me over and was like, Hey, I got an SDR, you know, I was kind of, kind of struggling right now. Do you want to be a mentor? And I was like, do you want me to be, I just started here. Like, okay. Like that's a battlefield mentee assignment. Yeah. I was like, sure, man. Like what is, what is she struggling with? Yeah. You know, got, got some insights. Who was it? Her name was Paige. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, like I, I, I got the rundown, Uh you know, worked on some of those things with her very quickly turned it around and i was like that was cool like yeah i was able to share some knowledge and like help somebody you know become a little bit better still at this point like i didn't think that i wanted to get into management I was still like, all right can be a closer yada yada you know kind of where you know the the wheels really started turning for wanting to get into management well first and foremost i remember this day vividly but uh, i think i was in my second or third month i was i was doing pretty good i hit all my quick start bonuses things were flowing I was really starting to kind of figure out like how to get the job done, like what to look for and you know, prospecting, how to book meetings, yada, yada. So I was in a groove, man. And Nivet teams me out of the blue and is like, hey, can you come to my office? I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting canned. <laughs> so anyways, I, I walked into his office, it wasn't the case, obviously. But 
he was like, Hey man, like, you know, just want to catch up. It's been, you know, a couple of months since you started on the job. Like, how are you liking everything? You know, kind of where's your head out with the SDR role? Like what he really wanted to talk about was like, Hey, like I want to talk about what's next for you. Right. Like, have you ever taken into consideration like the delivery manager role? And quite honestly, at that time, I really hadn't. And I was honest with him. I was like, no, not really. And, you know, he showed a little bit of faith in me. It was like, hey, look, like, quite honestly, like, I think that you'd make a really good delivery manager. Like, what I want you to do is like, go out and talk to some DMs, right? Like, go pick their brains on what their day to day is like, you know, what are some of the you know, wins that they get to celebrate. What are some of the hardships? Come back to me, you know, see what I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on potentially like what that, that path would look like for you. So that was the initial seed that was planted. I remember walking back to my desk, man, I was riding high. I was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the mix. Like, let's, let's go. So anyways, I started talking to some DMs and, you know, one of the common themes that I, that I, that I heard, which I later realized was, you know, one of the most you know, gratifying parts of, of being in management was that they just really enjoyed helping people, watching them succeed. And you kind of get to build a legacy underneath you. Like it all comes down to, you know, empowering the people that you're managing to be successful. And kind of whenever I had that moment of realization that I had some of that, you know, same sense of gratification, David Tharp, he started on booze. I was probably six, seven months into the role. And naturally, I was the other person on the booze campaign. I was his mentor. So I took him under my wings, showed him the ins and outs of the campaign. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, here's what's going to work. Here's how you, you know, talk to these high level, you know, CISOs and CIOs at, you know, these Fortune 500 companies. You want to get right to the point, like, don't waste their time, you know, get right to your value and, you know, sell the meeting. So, you know, I shared my tips and tricks with him. And early on, I mean, he's obviously done very well for himself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, got in, got a job offer from Splunk. I think mm -hmm. he's got his own little mini team underneath him. But whenever he started off in the SDR role, like, dude was struggling. Like, no two ways about it. Like, I think it took him three or four weeks to get his to get his first book meeting. So, you know, I continuously like work with him. You know, so let's break down calls. Like, let's see what's working. Try this first, that. Like, let me see your LinkedIn gay. Right? Like, what type of people are you prospecting? And ultimately, like through that work and just, you know, like I said, taking him under my wing, like there was a point in time he just like completely turned it around and like it clicked for him. Went on to be a top performer. Marine. Yeah. Yeah. Went on to be a top performer. He was put on the Splunk campaign. Did very well on that. I think he booked like Robert Hershevec or something like that at, at some point. But anyways, <laughs> got a job offer. So like at that point, like watching somebody that was struggling to you know have any production you know, kind of helping them show them the light and then that seeing that light switch for them, like that was awesome. Like that feeling right there was way more satisfying to me than myself booking a good meeting or hitting quota. Like I got more gratification out of that than like my own personal accolades. So, it's so impactful. Exactly. You're impacting somebody's livelihood. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Once you can conceptualize that, like it's it's a beautiful thing. So like that was the point in time to where I was like, yep, I'm getting into leadership. Like that's what I want to do. And then you moved up to being a DM. Yeah. And you were a DM for a while. Mm -hmm. talk, Two talk, years. Talk about that journey. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting journey at the start. So, you know, as I was, you know, moving into the DM role, like 
I can kind of see behind the curtain a little bit. Like I, I, I felt like the promotion was right around the corner. Yeah. Starting off, like I think two weeks after I was officially promoted, I'd just gotten back from DC. We had the DM boot camp at that time. Mm-hmm. Who was it? It was me, Ellie Miller. And why is the other name escaping me right now? We'll come back to that one. Yeah. But anyways, there's three of us, fresh DMs, came to HQ, did the boot camp thing, shout out some some DMs there. Literally fresh out of, you know, coming back from that trip. Pandemic hits. Everybody works from home. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, hey, you know, this is weird. You know, I had one SDR on my team at that time. I had one client and you know, I was ready to start growing my team a little bit. So, you know, it was, it was strange, you know, they're kind of the fear of the unknown. Didn't know how the pandemic was going to kick everything out. But hey, focus on controlling the control, right? So that's what I did. I remember I got a call from you, Mark. I had just claimed a, a client. This was going to be my second client. Mark hits me up and was like, hey, like, what do you think about this pandemic stuff? It's crazy, right? And he's like, look, bad news. Like, you know, we're going to need you to call on that, on that new campaign you just claimed. And, you know, I was a little disappointed, but like, I'm a soldier. I was like, hey, look, like, if that's what it is. That's what it is. Like, yeah. I'm going to make the best out of this. Yep. I'm going to kick ass on this campaign because ultimately it's going to be my client. So like, I want to do good work for mm-hmm. them. And I also had my one SDR, my one other client. So I got some experience in managing people, you know, how to do all the behind the scenes stuff, right? Like how to create, and this was before the community portal existed, but mm-hmm. like creating client reports, mm-hmm. like reporting to the client. So I got to, you know, get my feet wet with all that stuff before we officially got back into the office. And that's when I really started ramping up my team. You know, after all that, the dust had settled. We were back in the office. So, you know, I, I got a couple of SDRs. Well, the campaign that I was calling on, it was called Mind Tickle. They actually expanded from one to two. So I got a couple of SDRs for that. Jackson was just now stepping into the MD role. So I inherited some of his work. So very quickly, like literally like a month after we got back to the office, here I am with like a team of eight SDRs. Mm. It's like drinking out of the fire hose for like the next six months. Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Why is it drinking out of the fire hose? Man. You know, SDRs are the thing about being DMs. Yeah. It is. That's a common, that's a common, common lexicon of every glue. Yeah. That's what it's like. Ultimately, I found out very quickly, but it's not effective to create like little mini clones of yourself, especially once I started getting a better, bigger team, like, People are motivated very differently, right? They have different goals. Like, you know, something that's going to fly for you isn't necessarily going to fly for them from a tactical perspective, right? Like somebody might just be naturally smooth over the phone. So, you know, a certain way to handle a certain objection might work for them, but might not work for that person, right? So I found out very quickly, like everybody's different. Everybody, you know, takes coaching and feedback differently. And it took a while to, you know, really unlock like how to diagnose some of those things things to look in between the lines, right? You know, not every SDR is going to be a pleasure to manage. <laughs> There's going to be some some people that, you know, will make you want to pull your hair out a little bit. But, you know, that's part of the fun of it, right? And, you know, part of being a manager is that, you know, you have to unlock the best in people. So, yeah, er, early on, you know, I would say for new DMs, like, don't try to make many clones of yourself. Yeah. Like, listen to your team. Like, very early and often, like, understand what are their goals, right? Like, what are they hoping to get from this experience? What do they want next? What do they think they're struggling with, right? You might already know that, but like, what do they think they're struggling with? So listen to your team, get to know them, and then, you know, develop your coaching strategy, you know, once you have that information. What about the interviewing piece? That's good. That's the man, man, the player management. Once Mm -hmm. you get them on your squad and they're going through the shock, 
right? You yep. just take them out of the boat and throw them in the ice cold water. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> their teeth are chattering and, they're, and then you pull them back in the boat, right? And then you throw them back in the water again mm. while we're training them. They yep. got to learn to kind of swim. Yep. What about when you're identifying them? I like yeah. to talk about that because you had never, I guess, had you, you had, had people work for you, but uh, you, never, you, ever, you interviewed people, hand-selected them. Never interviewed people. Gone to battle with them. Yes. Now, to talk about that. That was a new thing. And very quickly figured out it is a lot more than just asking a list of questions. Yeah. Definitely a skill that you have to develop. Whenever I first started interviewing people, you know, I would look very surface level. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, do I like this person? Are they saying the right things? Cool. Give them a check. Like, bring them on in. Yeah. And then over time, you notice some of those. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, you know, you start. You don't know. And it, and it comes with experience too, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. it only takes getting burned a couple of times and making a bad decision to yeah. never make that decision again, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if you uncover that, you know, somebody has moved, you know, six different places over the past year, like, hey, that might be a flight risk, something to dig into. Not that, you know, not to say that person wouldn't pan out, but like those little details, like you gotta, you gotta look into a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Or if somebody is, you know, kind of flip-flopping on their answers or they're contradicting themselves. Maybe that means that they're just putting on a face for you, telling you what you want to hear, right? So, you know, I, I would say that I got good at, you know, one, make, making some mistakes with some bad hires. I mean, we've, we've all done that. Yep. And then kind of reverse engineering, like, okay, what did I not see coming, right? Like looking back at your interview notes and you can kind of see like, oh crap, I should have caught that. So yeah, read between the lines, like, is I, I kind of view interviewing as like a really long CWP, right? Like just with the CWP, when you're asking discovery mm-hmm. questions, like same thing, ask follow-up questions, dig a little bit deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't just, you know, get a surface level answer and move on to the next one just because they checked a box, right? Have a conversation, you know, get to know, you know, truly who that person is as a person before you, you end up hiring them for your team because I don't think short-term fixes or any long-term solution and make it a bad hire like that directly affects your your book of business how do you ascertain like what else do you i'm going to keep digging a little bit what Mm -hmm. else do you look for for folks who are you know we hire people right out of college yeah or maybe with a little bit of experience out of college or people who haven't gone to college which we're fine with too yeah right because we believe in 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 what life can teach you yep uh in many cases more so than a four-year degree but how do you figure that out amongst those like that kind of broad range of because we're, we're hiring people to go work with some very sophisticated technology companies who work with in through that work we work with some accomplished mm-hmm. smart hard-working clients yeah so how do you size these folks up and what else are you looking for i think there's three big things that i look oh, for when when hiring a, an sdr yeah so i guess really four things but First thing, the, the biggest thing that I want is, is this person going to, you know, really dedicate themselves to learning the world of sales? And one of the things that's always been intriguing to me about sales is it is a craft that has no one true master, right? Like nobody at any level of sales, you know, it could be a CEO or head of sales on a Fortune 100 company. They can't look at themselves in the mirror and say, hey, I know everything there is to know about sales. Like, it's right. just not possible. Like, Markets change, people's buying habits change, everything, life changes. So like, there's literally no point to where you can say, you know, everything. So first and foremost, I want somebody that's going to come in, be a student of the game and actively trying to, you know, be the best that they, that they can be. 
I think that's really important. So are they thirsty? Yes. Yeah. So how do you de determine that? Well, I mean, there's there's a number of questions that, that you can ask, right? So, you know, I, I think one good one to ask is like, I really like this one. It also kind of assesses competitiveness too. But, hey, candidate, let's say that you and I, we're on the same playing field, same client, same level of experience, yada, yada. How are you going to beat me? And just see what they come up with, right? If somebody kind of gives a very surface level answer, like, I don't know, I guess I would, you know, seek out additional coaching. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I want somebody that's like, look, like, I'm going to do everything better than you. I'm going to work harder than you. I'm going to, like, I, I want to hear that, like, energy in, in people, right? Zest. Yes, the zest is very important. Like, I remember whenever I interviewed Dickie Caparos. That he probably deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had the sauce, man. Like he had so much zest in that interview. Like he still he, he still got it. Yeah, he does. But like that that's that's a lot of what I look for. Like, I mean, I remember coming away from that interview, I was like, this kid is absolutely going to crush it here. Like, we have to have it. So I hope that that helps. No, I what else so, was yeah, that's, that's, it, that's number one. Number just, one. Yeah, that's no. Is this person thirsty? Yeah, are they thirsty? About yeah. The tech sales profession. That's right. Yeah. Or is this just kind of a stop in the road for them? Right. Like I want somebody that knows that, hey, this is the realm of work that I want to get into. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just not another job. Yeah. Pots and pans. Definitely not, a, not enough keep, pots keep, and pans. Keep going. Yeah. So secondly, is this person and you can uncover this a lot in the in the role play. But do they have kind of a natural sense of curiosity? Like, I think being curious is straight up the most important skill in all of sales, right? Like, ultimately, what we're trying to do here in, in the world of sales is solve problems. To solve a problem, you got to know what the problem is, right? And to know what that problem is, you got to get really curious. So I want somebody that's naturally curious, right? That, you know, whenever they're talking to a prospect or, or talking to their client, like, they're getting down as deep as possible. Like they have that genuine sense of curiosity. Like, I think that skill, like if you have that, you can be successful in sales. Like everything else can be tweaked, coached. But if you have that natural sense, like you're going to be cool. And how do you measure that? A lot of it in the role play, you can kind of see like how they would do in an actual like prospect conversation. Like, hey, are they, you know, digging a little bit deeper in their discovery questions? But also I think an even bigger indicator of that is whenever I turn it over to the candidate and they start asking me questions, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, are they asking me some out-of-the-box questions or are they just, you know, asking me the surface level? Probably my biggest pet peeve is whenever, like, I turn it over to a candidate and their, you know, three questions are like, how many weeks of PTO? What's the work schedule? And what paid holidays do you have off the time? Dude, like, seriously? Like, I want somebody that's asking me, like, <laughs> thought-provoking questions. That's like asking me about my journey, that... You know, I was asking like, hey, like, where's the company heading in the next five years? Like, I want that level of curiosity. So I think the two biggest places that you can find that is whenever you turn it over to the candidate to ask you questions. But then also in the role play, like you can kind of see like, you know, do they carry that natural sense of curiosity in kind of a high pressure situation? Okay, that's two. Two. Three. Man, hustler mentality. Like, end of the day, sales is a numbers game. Show me the hustle. Yeah, show me the hustle. Yeah, you could talk about what? Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, this yeah. Your, this is your podcast. I'll show. Like, I want I want somebody that's like ready to get after it. Like, that's not yep. afraid of being me mediocre. 
Like, like I said, sales is just a numbers game, right? And if you're willing to, you know, just do more than those, the people next to you, like you're going to get more at bats. You're going to get more opportunities. Even if you're not converting those opportunities, guess what? That is valuable stuff to break down and, and coach upon. So like, you got to get as many at bats as possible. And to do that, guess what? You, you got to work hard. Like, Going. Yeah, like so, it, it. Another one of my pet peeves is whenever I see like somebody on LinkedIn, cool, somebody that's you know complaining because they're and not not remembering blue, but you know some other SaaS company SDR is like you know publicly shaming their manager because they made him make forty dials that day, and it's like it, it, it's mind blowing, right? Like, okay, sure, like that's great that you have cracked the code to you know be at the minimum level of production on you know minimum activity, but like, again, it's a numbers game. Like, just imagine what you could do if you made 100 dots. Like, you know, if everything lines up correctly, that's three times the production. Like, And by the way, Jace is talking earlier about the importance of list building. Yes. You're not like, oh, just to make 100 dials, just to make 100 dials. Yeah. No, it's making 100 dials on these lists you've been hand yes. curating. That's right. right. 100%. It's not some arbitrary number that we just throw out. Just to make like, you feel good as a manager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, this is... Those the metrics that are needed to you know get you as many at bats as possible to be able to hit your number to mm-hmm. exceed your number. Guess what? If you look at the DHR, you know the people that are getting 150 plus percentage of their quota. Take a look at their activity. They're likely list building a lot more than everybody. Is they're likely making more calls, sending more emails. So that's the third thing. Just, so how do you measure that hustler mentality? You know, there, there's certainly some questions that that you can ask throughout the interview process. You know, one of which I, I like to ask is. And keep it very open-ended, right? So I'll ask a candidate kind of towards the end of the interview. It's like, hey, like, let's say I do hire you. What can you promise me? Like, I'm not expecting you to say like, hey, I'm going to get 20 bucks a month. Like, you can't promise that. You don't know what clients you're going to be on. But like, what can you promise me, right? And see what kind of response they come up with. And you will get a lot of like, hey, look, like, I might not be the best person out there. Like, I know that I've got a lot of work to do. Like, you know, this is something that's new to me. I've never had a sales job. But what I can guarantee you is I'm going to give you 120%. So you kind of have to like, you know, feel their energy, kind of go back to the zest. Mm-hmm. So I like that question when assessing like, hey, is this person, you know, going to be a hard worker? Or, you know, you can kind of pose the question like, hey, let's say that, you know, your teammate is, you know, made $150 that day. What are you going to do? Just leave it open-ended, see what they say, right? So those types of questions can give you a bit of a gauge on like, hey, is this person going to be a hard worker? And obviously, you know, the the obvious of, chatting through some of their past work experiences, right? Like what at the resume, like tell me about your day-to-day here. Like, you know, when's it, you know, you know, really heavily involved job that requires them to be a hustler. So kind of a combination of all those things is, is how I would measure. I mean, I think the hustle, somebody asked me this question today. And I think you're, you're reminding me of all these things because it's been a little while since, you know, either of us have interviewed. I, well, I actually interview people when you go on campus. I don't interview folks anymore, but I definitely remember trying to find out in what facet of your life, you know, no matter your income, your background, like if you went to college, if you're not, where have you hustled? Yeah. Just, you know, it could be something as trivial as like beating your family at board games at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or it could be like in my last job, here's how like I got like the, the, the best shift. Yeah. Or I got the next promotion. That's right. Right. And we can, you can ascertain something about someone based upon their past, like what they've done. Yeah. And we don't care if it's a certain degree from a certain school with a certain GPA. We just yeah. want to see the hustle. That's right. 
those life experiences. Yeah, and just show me yep. and communicate to me. And that's how – and it's a shot in the dark still. Mm-hmm. Some people are good at giving you the answers that you think they want to hear. You got people who, you know, a lot, a lot of finesse in their, in their game. You might get duped. Or they might genuinely think they're a hustler and they get in and they realize that they're not. Yeah. That's not their fault. Yeah. And then hopefully they're pushed a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully you can realize it. But that's great. That's yeah. great. I think we got, we got them. It was three. No, it was four. Fourth oh, I one. I got five. Keep going. Uh, We're on six. Right all right. Now. Well, the, the fourth one um, <laughs> is, I like to call it the, the client test. So whenever I'm interviewing somebody, like one thing I like to think of is like, all right. So this person, as they stand right now, if I put them in front of a client, what is that client going to think? <laughs> and if it's like, wait, <laughs> what, what does the client think? What would the client think? Yeah, like I, I asked myself just personally, like I don't, I wouldn't ask this to the SDR, but I'm like, huh, if I put this person in front of a client one on one, if I wasn't there, uh-huh. like, what do you think the goal? Like, I try to think, like, how is that a client going to react? Right. Yeah. If it's positive, good. They passed the test. If it's not positive, it's like, okay, well, that's, Probably not a good thing. So that's the fourth thing that I that I consider whenever interviewing and, and hiring people. What are you looking for in someone? Man, polish somebody that can communicate effectively. You know, somebody that can speak with a certain level of intelligence. That you know, maybe they don't know what they're doing yet because they're in an entry level role. But hey, do they sound confident whenever they're talking? Right. Like I said, are, are they polished? Like, mm-hmm. you know, not to anything against like those rings or anything, but like, you know, clients probably going to have some kind of opinion about that. Right. So a, a lot of those things. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Is it all four? That's all four. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. You should write a book. I <laughs> <laughs> oh. need a writer. I don't think I would have the... <laughs> uh, so you... Turn your squad and you're the biggest team in the office. Yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, we were 14 strong for Woo! a long time. That was a ride. And then you also most profitable team. Yes. Yeah. So things were good. Yeah. You know, Hey, you making sure that people don't take too much mozzarella cheese. Yeah. Parmesan. Gotta keep an eye on your, gotta keep an eye on your revenue oh, and your expenses. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It's always paying for that. Parmesan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, Jason, your hands on that bummer's on. Yeah, it was. Yeah, once I got past that initial, it was about six to eight months of you know, like I said, drinking out of a fire hose. But after that, man, I did. I felt like a Jedi. I was like, all right, like I got this figured out. I know, I know how to work with clients. Like I, you know, have gotten really good at coaching SDRs, being able to identify different skill sets. So yeah, after that initial six to eight month period, man, things things were cooking. Who taught you how to interview? Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Did. Okay. Jackson taught me a lot. Yeah. About you know not Mr. just being Hopkins. a yeah. We miss you, man. Yeah. Not um, that much. <laughs> you know we miss you. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, not only did he teach me a lot about you know being a delivery manager at Memory Blue. Yeah. But taught me a lot about you know good you know, leadership qualities, yeah. right? Like He's good at that. You know, holding your team accountable. You know, leading with questions. You know, how to have tough conversations, like not just holding your team accountable, but holding yourself accountable. Like yep. if something, you know, gets messed up at the end of the day, like that burden falls on you as as the leader. So yeah, not only did he teach me, you know, just tactical delivery manager stuff, interviewing all that, but 
good leadership qualities as well. And you started to talk to Jackson about being an MD. Right? Yeah. Right. How did that happen? Let's see. When was that? So yeah, like I said, things were cooking. I had a big team, all two X clients. And at some point, I think it was, man, I want to say probably November of last year mm -hmm. was when the idea, you know, kind of was, was planted in my head. He had kind of told me to the grapevine. He's like, Hey, look, like, I, I think that Mark and Chris might be wanting to open up a new office. Like you ever thought about, you know, stepping into the world of being a managing director. And I was like, well, things are pretty good right now, but you know, ultimately <laughs> like, you know, I just figured this out. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that seems like the logical next step for me. So I was like, yeah, like talk to me about it, man. Like, what are, what are your thoughts? Like, how's it been for you? So that was kind of the initial like planting of the seed, you know, conversations continued. Like I talked to, to Kristen a little bit about it. I think she was in town like that December of last year. And we sat down and had a little bit more of a formal conversation. Like, you know, logistically, like where would the next office be? Would I be re willing to relocate? all that good stuff. And she was like, Hey, like, go talk to, go talk to Joe and, and Jeremy, like you know, pick their brain on what being an MD is like. So very similar to whenever I was an SDR and I was thinking about getting into the DM role. Like I was kind of doing a lot of that same thing when I was a DM, getting curious about the MD role. Like I was, you know, doing my homework, asking current MDs, tell me about the job. Like, what are some challenges that you face? Like, how do your responsibilities change? Yada, yada. So it was almost like a repeat of whenever I went from an SDR to a DM. And like I said, roughly that started December, November part of, of last year. And what did you learn? The big thing that I learned is the importance of utilization. Yeah. I learned exactly why that's so important. Yeah. You know, ultimately, you know what? That's, that's our version of the cheese right there. Yeah. That's our version of the yeah. And that's our version of the Parmesan yep. cheese. Yep. But yeah, you know, the things that I gathered from talking to other people is like, hey, like now, like the big jump from going from a DM to an MD is like, you know, now you're managing managers, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, these are elevated employees that have proven themselves. Okay. And it's a lot of, you know, being able to knowledge share, like what worked for you as a DM with those DMs. Right. And I think just like you had managed a team of SDRs, like you still very much have to understand like what motivates each one of your DMs, right? Like what, what are their goals? Like, what are they hoping to accomplish? Right. Like, mm -hmm. how are they feeling about the role? Like, what are they struggling with? So it's a lot of the same stuff, but it's just a level up, right? Because like I said, now you're now you're managing managers first first SDRs. I want to go back to the DM thing real quick because yeah. that's great and the answer. And I just want to like pause and let it sink in for the folks who are listening about this the five tool or the five tool player as as a delivery manager, it is just such a business person's job. It's, it's not funny. Yeah. We're interviewing people, assessing them, figure out who you're gonna hire who you're not going to hire, who might be good maybe for the company, but not particularly, particularly on your team, yeah. working with then having them come on board, knowing when to give them a high five, knowing when to give them a kick in the butt, yeah, right? Knowing when you put someone on a performance improvement plan is the goal of keeping them. Yep. Knowing when you have to let, have someone let them go, having some people quit on you, yeah, but also getting these people developed, yeah. turning around people's perspectives and their potentially their career, working with these clients, upselling clients, great clients, more challenging clients, right? Yeah. Clients renewing, clients firing us, us messing up. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many dimensions of that job. It's, it's just such a learning 
experience is just not even funny. Yeah. You know, you are the essentially a CEO, like you are in charge of your book of business, your team in all aspects down to making sure that your clients are being invoiced properly, like yeah. literally to the most finite detail. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you built it to a team of 14 and obviously some thrilling clients. And then you took it to an MD spot and we were talking about Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix, Arizona. Yep. Right. And, and, and then why did that initially appeal to you? Cause, cause that's why I was curious about in the beginning. I said, Hey, why would you want to leave such a great town? Mm-hmm. But, but you know, but you're them not leaving. Thank God. Yeah. Right. Because it kind worked of out. worked out, but well, tell us about that. Yeah. So the reason that I like Phoenix stuck out to me in particular, one, I like hot weather. Like I don't necessarily yeah. like cold places. Yeah. Very hot there. It's hotter than here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And I like mountains too, which kind of contradicts itself. Like I don't like cold, but I don't like uh-huh. mountains or I do like mountains, but yeah, that, that appealed to me. Like, I mean, Arizona is a pretty scenic place. I'm a big outdoors person. Yeah. And you know, the reason why I was kind of interested in potentially opening up an office there, then pretty good tech presence. Like there's a lot of startup companies in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I started kind of researching into some of those companies, I was like, there's a legitimate opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Um, I know Nimitz down there. I think mm-hmm. Bailey lives in, in Phoenix mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, Lossy, Mississippi. But, ah, got it. But she used to live in Arizona. There you go. Well, we got we got in it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually a pro Ultimately, I'm glad it panned out to where I was able to stay in Austin. Like my family lives here. Yeah, it's, it worked out. Well, we, it was fortunate because Jackson Baller, yep. right? Love him. Decided to go, you know, find his next mountain to climb. Yeah, I mean, literally, he's another mountain guy. Yeah, right. And we said, hey, Chase. You know, what do you think? Why did you decide to do it? So we, you know, that's something you have to walk into. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think the big reason I took it is I've always been somebody that when an opportunity presents itself, take it, like jump off the cliff, man, because it might not come back again. And, you know, I, the more and more kind of, I was talking to other MDs and like talking to Kristen and Jackson about the MD role, like I kind of knew, like I wanted to stay with the company. I knew at some capacity, that's the role that I wanted to get into next. Like ultimately my life goal is to be retired on a beach in Costa Rica, but the time I'm 50 and not have to work anymore, but to get there, you gotta, you know, <laughs> begin after it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I knew, I knew I needed to go up another level and time for my next challenge. I had the DM thing figured out pretty well. So like, I, I knew that was the role for me is the MD role. Honestly, it happened a lot sooner than I thought. Like I, I remember I had a one-on-one with Kristen, just kind of a, a checkpoint. And she was like, hey, like, I've got some news for you. And she was like, well, and I didn't know this at the time. Like, Jackson did not mention anything or, like, show any signs that he was Mm -hmm. looking for his next journey. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, Jace, like, Jackson is moving on from Emory Blue. We want you to be the MD of Texas. And, like, I remember that, like, vividly. And I was just, like, shaking. I was like, (laughs) oh, crap, it's happening. (laughs) But, yeah, you know, ultimately, I was like, okay, well, this is exciting. Like, let me think on it for a second. And I think later that day, I was like, yes, let's let's do it. Because like I said, when an opportunity, a good opportunity presents itself, man, you, you got to take it. Mm-hmm. And what's that been like? Man, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Interesting economic times. Fighting the invisible enemy, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fighting the invisible enemy. But yeah, it's it's been very rewarding. You know, especially I think it's unique for our office, but half of our DMs right now, Emily Jordan and Olivia, those are all SDRs that were on my team. So like being able to, you know, manage them once more. And of course the other three love working with them, Mm -hmm. but 
um, you know, kind of being able to, you know, see how they've developed from like whenever I hired them all and, you know, kind of watch them go through that journey, you know, watching them develop as a DM under Jackson's tutelage um, to where now like I'm able to like, you know, help get them to the next level. So like that part is really rewarding, being able to like help them continue to develop in their careers, you know, show them little tips and tricks of, you know, things that I used to do as a DM, you know, offer some coaching and feedback on like kickoffs and, and client calls and, and interviews. And also like, you know, as an MD, you have, you know, you are literally in control of the ship. So like I get to be a lot more, you know, in tune with some of the office-wide metrics, right? You know, hey, like office-wide, like how's our conversion rate looking, right? Like household rate. So you can kind of start, you know, picking apart some of those metrics that you can identify an area of opportunity. And like you have a lot of sway in being able to change those things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's, you know, myself running a running a training on, you know, how to follow up with prospects, help out with hold rate, right? Or, you know, delegating something to a DM that's really good at this helping out with another team so yeah extremely rewarding but yeah certainly interesting economic times yeah chase scale of one to ten how hard is it being an sdr oh man i would say being an sdr man you're talking about at least like nine i would, nine. I would say nine okay not the hardest thing in the world but man if you're not ready for it if you're not ready to get kicked in the teeth a little bit it's it'll It'll eat you alive. Okay. And then how much more challenging is it being a DM than an SDR? Oh, man. 15. <laughs> 15 times harder? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say 15 times harder, but on a scale out of 10, yeah. it would be a 15 out of 10. Okay. And then what's harder, MD or DM? Man, that's a, that's a good one. Wow. I would say as an MD, you have more weight on your shoulders. But if you developed good management skills as a dm a lot of that stuff translates to the the md role right um so i think if you have that that foundation it can be you know roughly about the same level of difficulty but again you have a lot more weight on your shoulders so the mistakes that you do make as an md like just you know typically have you know a, a higher you know level of severity than you know if it was a dm and you know, a, a client got misbilled by, you know, a, a little bit, right? To whereas, you know, if something crazy happens as an MD, it's like, wow, like this literally shifted the course of my business here. So, yeah, more more weight on the shoulders. But I would say the level of difficulty is, you know, relatively the same. But again, as long as you develop those good foundational leadership and management qualities when you're in the DM role, like that, the DM role is the time to... You know, just as an SDR would do when they start off, like a DM role, like if you want to get into sales leadership, like that is the perfect time to hone your craft. Love it. Great. So what's, what, what, what plans you got for Austin? Kind Austin of, office. Thing. Yeah. Your, your kingdom. Personal goal of mine. You guys might not like this, but I'll grow the office by the end of the year. Yeah. We know we would love that. Would love that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on trying to help that happen. You know? Yeah. You, you got to retain your clients and yep. upsell them. We right. Got, we got to get you more clients. Yeah. Right. And quality of people to come work here. Yeah. So outgrow the office and kind of the magic number I have in my head. I want to get to a hundred employees and just a good three digit number. Mm -hmm. That's really good on paper. So That's um, a great number. Yeah. You're at 75 now. Yep. 75. Five to go. Let's do it. Yeah. Jace, listen, 
we're uh, we'll, we'll, there will be a part two to this, but uh, all right, Chris and I are fortunate to have you employed here at the company. And, uh, you know, you're the epitome of coming in and seeing an opportunity and seizing it. Yep. And it, it's, it's great that you, you took it. Yeah. Cause not everybody does, which is okay, but you took it and you were running with it. Yeah. Cause you look at how long you've been here and what you've done in that amount of time. It's pretty incredible. I appreciate that. And very fortunate to be given the opportunity that you guys saw the potential. You know, I think that's yeah. what this business is all about is, you know, helping hungry people that, you know, are, are ready to start a career in tech sales and help get them to where they want to be. Like I would say a career highlight for me would be the fact that out of all the DMs in the company, I had more internal promotions than anybody else. Like I will. Your SDRs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. While I was a DM, like that career highlight for me so far, like I, nothing is more satisfying or more rewarding for me than like I said, building that legacy and helping your team, the people underneath you get to where they want to be in their career. Mark and I were just talking about that earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation <laughs> off, off the podcast. But uh, Jace, thank you very much. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Jace. Awesome. Appreciate you having me. Yep. If your sales team struggles to hit quota or generate qualified leads, Memory Blues Academy Prospecting Principles Training Program is the solution. Great sales training is time intensive and requires continuous guidance from sales experts. In this six week course, our world-class facilitators use a hands-on learning approach to turn raw talent into industry leading salespeople. From building targeted outreach lists to strategically overcoming objections, the key prospecting skills taught here create the foundation for strong sales performance. Our proven training cuts SDR ramp time in half and increases quota attainment by 89%. New cohorts launch twice per month. Head to memoryblue.com academy to see upcoming dates and secure your seat today. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. Thank you.